Okay, we are on uh, the Gospel of John. We're returning to the Gospel of John. We're going to be uh, talking about chapter 13 in the Gospel of John. Um, and now this point, from this point forward, this is about the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. Uh, and this is right before the Passover, right before the Last Supper. And Jesus is going to make a series of discourses and sermons to his followers uh, that John will talk about. Um, and he is going to begin and talk about things that they have never heard before. And he's going to begin to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why this, these last chapters are so important. And Jesus will be very specific to speak about the personage of the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear people say, well, there's no such thing as the Trinity. Uh, there's, you know, you're not going to find the word Trinity. You're right. You're not going to find the word Trinity. But it's all, over the, it's all over the New Testament. And so Jesus is constantly praying to the Father. Jesus himself has said that he is God. He is Lord. He will talk about it again in this chapter. And now he talks about the personage of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what the work of the Holy Spirit is about, how he will be the comforter and be with us forever. Uh, not only with us, but inside us in our hearts. And so all of this is going to become incredibly important uh, for us as Christians and for uh, us as we teach a world about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his old outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, underline that. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also, also should wash one another's. I have set you for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is an incredible picture. 
uh, made even more incredible by understanding the context of Middle Eastern culture and values, especially so during that time. It would be unheard of for someone who would be in a superior position, a master, someone who was in charge of a company of people, to allow the, to sit there and wash the feet of the underlings, to wash the feet of the servants. You would never see it. It would not be done. It was something that was abhorrent to the culture. And yet Jesus is turning the world on its head. Jesus is demonstrating that it is better for the greater to be lesser. It is greater, it is more important for those who are in a position to do something, to reach out to those who are in need and to help. And so this powerful lesson resonates on so many levels. It's again one of the examples that we see with Christ. That when he speaks, there are multi-level teachings in his ministry. It's not just the factual passage of the washing of the feet. It is going to be a, a deeper spiritual meaning as he goes through this. And it's so important to us. And so you see this image of Jesus taking his outer clothing off uh, and wrapping a towel. You can just get this image of God himself. God himself washing our feet. You want to see an expression of love? Understanding how much God loves you, that God himself not only would come to this world, not only be crucified on the cross for you, but sit there and wash the feet of his disciples. This, this has always resonated with me. And as I've gotten older and more mature uh, in God's word, it, it's, it speaks to me even more poignantly every day of my life. The love of God towards us is unexplainable. I can't explain it. I cannot explain it knowing what we are like. Why God would love humanity who is totally unlovable. Totally unlovable. Filled with sin. Filled with lust. Filled with every depravity that you can think of. And yet God loves us. He loves us. Loves us so much that he bankrupts heaven by sending us Jesus. And then Jesus himself, as God himself, sits there and washing, washes our feet. From God's perspective, there is no possible reason. There is nothing lovable within us. And so when you, don't dismiss this. This isn't one of those throwaway things that you go, well, all right, John, I got it. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is, this is deep. That God loves you this much. That there's nothing lovable within us. Nothing that would make us desirable. He is holy. We are not. He is just. We are not. He is, he is uh, uh, loving. And we are filled with hatred and sin. Yet he loves us. And gives us the chance to become one with him. Through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
die for us. Christ died for you while you were a sinner. You're still a sinner. But Christ, God, looks at you through the prism of Jesus Christ. And so seeing you now as one who has given your heart to Jesus Christ, who has turned your life over to Jesus Christ, God now looks at you as if there's a filter in front of you and the filter is Jesus. And so when he sees you, he sees you as justified fully and part of the family of God. I can't say it any better than that. All right? I can't say it any better than that. Understanding the power of God and the extent of this love, how how significant it is. Um, And so here he is. Here he is in in this passage. In this passage, washing the feet of the disciples. Look at also at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And that's the point of this. God loved you when you were unlovable. God loved you when you were a sinner. Uh, And when we understand that God loved us like that, then we begin to understand the poignancy of this model of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Um, Now, this was a very significant lesson because what's going on here is you see the juxtaposition of Jesus to Satan. That's what's going on here. Because what you see here in this juxtaposition, you see God demonstrating love for his creation, uh, demonstrating uh, reaching out to those beneath him, loving the unlovable, an act of service to those in need. And that's juxtaposed with Satan, who has inspired Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus Christ. And Jesus mentions it right here. He mentions it, that one of you, one of you uh, is not washed, one of you will betray me. And so you see this. Uh, and, and we're going to see this later in this chapel, a chapter when Jesus will speak directly to Judas and talk about what he would do. Now, here's the point. I want you to reflect again on the context of what you're seeing here. This is a point of terror for the disciples. We don't often talk about that, but I want you to recognize these are simple men. They're not extremely well-educated. They're not worldly guys. But here they are, and they recognize that the power of the religious elite is now going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. They also know that the government is probably going to come down on them. They recognize that Jesus has told them he's going to be killed, and they have a belief that most likely they will be killed also with Jesus. They are terrified. They are terrified. And so now Jesus is reaching out to them. Jesus is speaking to them in their terrified condition. And, and as he does that, and you see how God does this. He reaches out in love and he shows, I care about you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I care about you so much, I'm going to wash your feet. Uh, and, and so Jesus is acting boldly to get their attention. Uh, and so he's saying to them, look, look, 
I'm not, I don't care about the events that go on about you. I love you. I care about you. I'm in charge. And I, as I reflected on this and prayed about it, it's almost like what we're facing now in the election. How many of you are sitting here really dismayed and disturbed, greatly concerned? Some of us can't even watch television. We can't even engage in a discussion with people about politics because it blows up and the anger and the vitriol is all over the place. It's just like this. You think this is what the disciples were going through when Jesus is saying to them, look, I love you. I care about you. Don't worry about the world. Don't worry about what's going to happen. You're going to be taken care of. I've got you. And I've got you so much that I'm going to sit here and wash your feet uh, in this incredible display of, of, who, of who I am. And so, what, to me, this is, this is so poignant. Now, let's understand again as I talk about the juxtaposition of God with Satan. Uh, and so here you see God full of love, full of love in every possible way, reaching out to his creation who is not lovable and seeking to lower himself to raise up his creation. Now, in juxtaposition, we see Satan. We see Satan through Judas, who is betraying God, all right, for 30 pieces of silver, who is seeking himself, seeking to raise up himself. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, verse 12. These are the verses that describe the character of Lucifer. Isaiah speaks it prophetically. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Can I get an amen? amen. All right? That's Satan. I, 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 me, me. The self-glorification. The raising up. Every time you see Satan involved, you'll see what he does. It's all about himself, taking care of himself, and even those who he has demonically used being being churned beneath his feet. I was recently listening, actually yesterday, to the broadcast uh, about Moses, which I, which I broadcast. I don't know if any of you heard it yesterday, but I was speaking about Moses uh, dealing with Pharaoh and the first two miracles of Moses when Moses took the rod, put it in the Nile River, and turned the river to blood. Okay? Every repository of, of water in, in the Nile, in, in Egypt, is now bloody. What do the demonically possessed magicians do? They dig down into an aquifer so they could find water, and then brought that water up, and then turned that water into blood. Does Satan have power? You bet he does. But can you imagine? This is how we're advancing the cause of our people. You want blood? We'll give you more blood. You understand what I'm saying? That's Satan. He doesn't care about the people of Egypt. 
He didn't care about advancing the cause of the Pharaoh. He was more concerned about exhibiting who I am, the power that I have, than the second miracle when, when Moses brought a plague of frogs, a plague of frogs, and frogs inhabited every square inch of Egypt. What do they do? They go and bring more frogs. You understand? It's like you sit there and you go, that's like being in hell and having somebody turn up the heat. Really? And so you see, that's how Satan is. It's all about self-promotion, self-glorification, raising one out, one's up, self up. So if you want to be the essence of what Christ wants you to be, that means lower yourself. Don't look for a position of prominence. This goes for even in church. You know, I hear people say sometimes, I'm not being properly recognized in church. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I understand this. I hear this. I hear I'm not being properly recognized in church. God recognizes you. You don't need to be properly recognized in church. Because if God has a place for you, God's going to find you. God is going to raise you up. Instead, be the kind of person that says, I don't need to be the spotlight. I don't need to have the prime place. I can be in a lesser place. Because I know the example of what Jesus did when he washed the feet of the disciples. That's the essence of how Christ wants us to live. Really. That's the essence of how Christ wants us to live. The humility of Christ. You see this in every possible way and you see the contrast. The contrast. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Underline that. Jesus, even though he was God, fully God himself, didn't insist that he had to be looked at as equal to God, even though he was God. Verse 7, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, underline that, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen? amen. Alright, there's who your Jesus is. There's who your God is. That everybody, everything will ultimately bow their knee. Not only on the earth, not only above the earth, but beneath the earth. Okay? Even the demons will recognize who Jesus Christ is. And so you see this powerful, this powerful picture. And this is who is now washing our feet. And just like uh, he's literally washing the feet of those disciples, he's washing your feet every day. And this is the spiritual significance of what this is about. Because obviously Jesus is not here physically to physically wash our feet. But Jesus is here so that each day of our lives... As we come and say, Lord, help me. Forgive me, Lord. Take this thought away from me. Wash this aspect of my life away. Yes, Lord, I'm saved, but I need help. 
God will constantly pour this washing over you. This is a thing that's got to go on every day of your life. And when I say this, I mean this, that we need to, to ask God to wash us on a daily basis. And so, Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. And so Jesus knew that he was acting on the authority of God. He also knew that he had come from God. This speaks of the fact of the divine origin. Jesus indicated it right here. There was no question about it. And so he knew also that he was about to return to God. So what does that mean? He's cognizant of the future glory to which he is going to ascend. All of this is coming together. Uh, and so you see this aspect of what Christ is doing. And so is Jesus, this, this picture of Jesus washing the feet. And now you see our dear friend Peter. Our dear friend Peter, who is, is, is a, a beautiful man, who become one of the giants of faith. And yet, even as much as he's a giant of faith, he comes with all the warts that we have. Right? All the warts. He spent three years walking around with Jesus. Three years, and like the rest of them, he never really got it. You understand? He got part way. He didn't get all the way. And so here he sees Jesus washing his feet. And so there he is in his humanity. He says, oh, no. Oh, Jesus, no. Oh, you, you cannot wash my feet. You cannot. And you say to yourself, oh, what a beautiful man. Oh, this guy's get it. Look how humble he is. He will not allow the master to wash his feet. Oh, no. Oh, be careful. Don't apply the rules of this world to the things of God. Don't apply those things. Because Jesus was demonstrating that as our Lord, he needed to wash our feet. That we, even though we are saved, you got it? Even though you are justified, even though the penalty of sin has been taken away from you forever, forever, yet you are walking in this world. And as you walk in this world, and you traverse in this world, guess what? Dirt comes up on your feet. You got it? And here's the point of this. Jesus is not saying you should disdain the world. You got that? Jesus is saying you should love the world. Not be a part of the world, but love the world. Embrace the world. Reach out to the world. Serve the world in terms of what their needs are. Be a shining example of who Christ is. But when you are there, the dirt of the world is going to wash up on you. And when the dirt of the world washes up from you, what happens? It cuts off your chance to continue to be in communion with God. That's what happens. The more dirt that you have on you, and the less you've asked God to wash you, the less likely it is that you are in communion with God. Let's understand this. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. But what I'm saying is your chance to be connected to God, to be understand the will of God in every aspect of your life is going to be curtailed. Uh, and instead of having a, a successful Christian walk, you're going to have a handicapped walk. You need to ask him to help you and forgive you. Now, that's why I say to you that you need to speak to God a hundred times a day. You understand why I say that? Because every point in your life, a thought comes in. An angry aspect comes up. 
Somebody does something to you, and immediately the aspect of your humanity, oh, <laughs> or is it just me? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm preaching to me. Maybe it's, I'm the only one that needs this. And that could be, all right? Because I look out and I see a bunch of saints. I see a bunch of saints. I need glasses, that's true. But the point of it is this. Here we are. We're saved. We've given our life to Jesus. Alright? And yet we're driving our car. And all of a sudden, somebody cuts us off. And all of a sudden, whoa, the words in my mind. Now, luckily I have a filter so it doesn't come out anymore. You understand? It comes out anymore. That's why when I see the despicable things that come up in this election about what people said, here's what my thought is. This is what happens when you're not sold out to Jesus. You understand? I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. Honestly, folks, really, honestly, folks, when you're not sold out to Jesus Christ, all these things that are generated inside your heart just come flying out of your mouth. But it's only when, only when you're sitting there and understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and you are letting him wash you daily, that all of a sudden, yes, the thought comes. Yes, the expression comes. And yet, what happens? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Father, please help me. Really, Lord, don't let me do this. Lord, don't let me go there. And, and I ask God to convict me constantly uh, of things that I need conviction about. And he, he will answer that prayer. Let me tell you, folks, that's a prayer that Jesus will answer. And so Christ is saying here to Peter, Peter, wait a minute, Peter. Hold on, brother. I love you. I, I, I love you. You need to be washed because if you're not washed, then you're not going to have a part of me. You understand what that means theologically? It means you cannot be in communion with me on a regular basis unless you are engaged in this washing process. Yes, you're clean. You've been justified. You've been saved. But you still need to be daily washed. By the way, that's why we engage in communion. Because one of the things that communion does, it brings us together at one point when we recognize the sacrifice of Christ. And at that moment, we're being washed in the act of communion. Uh, and so, of course, then Peter turns it full blast. Right? Oh, that's what I love about Peter. This guy's great. Oh, oh okay. I got it. Then you know what? Don't just wash my feet. Wash me. Give me a complete bath. I want to be detailed. 100%. Go full boat. I mean, that's, that's Peter. You just got to love this guy. You got to love him. I mean, and don't you think that God knew when he chose him that this is going to be an example for us forever? And Jesus says to him, you are already clean. Do you see what's going on here? But not all of you. Not all of you. Not all of you are saved. One of you spent three years with me, but he's not saved. But the 11 of you are. You're already clean. So what does it mean? Jesus is saying that at the point that you accept Christ, you are clean. You are justified. You have taken away forever the penalty of sin, which is death. You got it? But there's something else besides the penalty of sin. There's the stigma of lack of communication with the Father because you're covered with dirt on your feet. You're saved. 
But you have an inability to communicate with God because you're covered with the detritus of this world. And only when you allow Jesus to wash you and convict you do you then have a successful Christian walk. Look, the best way I can explain this, and this is a hard concept, it's like this. Salvation opens the door to heaven and gives you a perfect seat right there on the road. You got it? But here's the question. Are you going to stay in that seat the rest of your life? Or are you going to move forward from that seat for the kingdom of God, the way God wants you to do it? And the only way you can do it is through the actual washing daily. Forgive me. Wash me. Lead me. Convict me. And as you do this, it's the process that Christ wants you to do. That's what this is all about. And so that's the process that leads you to a greater Christian walk. And you want a greater Christian walk because at the end of the day, you want Jesus to say, Oh, Oh, Joe, oh, I had such great plans for you, and thank you, Joe, you did it. You don't want him to hear, oh, John, oh, I had such great plans for you. I'm really disappointed that you didn't do it. Oh, God, I don't want to hear those words. I don't want to hear those words. It breaks my heart to even think about it. And that's what the foot washing is about. That's what it's about. Giving you the idea and understanding of what you need to be. Now, as I said to you this, there's a spiritual aspect of it, and there's a physical aspect of it. The physical aspect of it is this. Jesus is giving you the model of what it means to be a Christian. How? We go to the prisons to wash the feet. We go to the hospitals to wash the feet. When there are those of us who need help, we reach out to those who need help. If a meal needs to be cooked, we do that. If somebody needs to be driven to a hospital, somebody needs to have an act of service done for them, we do that. In other words, we are in a position where we are expected by Christ to wash the feet of of our others. All right? That's what this is about. So it's not just the spiritual example. Yes, it is. But it is the physical example as well. It is the very modeling by Christ of how he expects us to live in this world. This is how we are to impact the world. Can you imagine if we all lived the way Jesus has modeled for us, what this world would be like? Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine exactly right? Heaven on earth. It would be like this if you said, I am a Christian. Oh, you are one of those? You are one of those? Oh, oh, we are so blessed to have you here. To have you part of, oh, you are one of those. Instead, you will hear people say, I am a Christian. And you will go, wow, I, I never expected to hear that from you. <laughs> what a sad commentary that is. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. Do you see how God is really convicting us this morning on this? This is a powerful, powerful passage. And we're going to continue to to reflect on it and study it next week as well. Bring your notes, not next week, the following week as we continue to do this. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, so much for the words that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for Jesus, for his example, for your love. And Lord, I ask you that you convict us today so that each of us will go through our lives and examine our own need for the washing of our feet. And at the same time, Lord, we will look out to a lost world to see where we can also wash the feet of those who need it in every possible way. Be with our people. Protect them this week. Bring them back safely next week. We put all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.